the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Life is filled with both sunshine and storms. But without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. Mark 3, we are going to continue on in our study of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 3, and we will read verses 22 through 30. Mark 3, 22 to 30. The Bible says, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. Demons had already been launching their assault at Jesus Christ in the previous chapters that we've read. But now our Lord is brought under the assault at the hands of men. This assault, this kind of assault, would be a regular part of our Savior's earthly ministry. The scribes that we read about here watched the reality of Jesus performing miracles. But how did they respond? We find that they responded by launching a ludicrous assault. Now, have you ever said something that was so outrageous, so dumb, that afterwards, or maybe even in the middle of saying it, you thought to yourself, why did he even say that? Has that ever happened to anybody? There's a saying in the Kahiwat home, and it goes like this, where's the broom? (laughs) The reason why is because of this. Years ago, when we were in a ministry up in Wisconsin, we were living in this, like, cracker box trailer, and we were sitting somewhere, I think we were sitting at the table or whatever, and I wanted to pick, uh, sweep up something, and so I went over to the, uh, this closet, and I opened the door, and I said, where's the broom? And 
one of my kids, I don't know who said it, said it's in the closet. And I said, don't tell me it's in the closet. And don't you dare say it's right in front of you because I'm looking right in front of me and I cannot see the broom. It is not in here. Where's the broom? And just as I said that, Caleb came trotting down the hallway, came over to the closet and right in front of me pulled out the broom. And I felt about that big. Really dumb. So now when something dumb happens, something dumb is said, somebody in our home uh, inevitably would say, where's the broom? Well, this was a where's the broom moment for the scribes. In their attempt to make Jesus Christ look bad, Jesus basically dismantled them. This truth, this, this, this passage that we see here, there are major truths that we can glean from this account when the, uh, when the servant or the Savior is brought under assault. So I want to preach to you a message this morning that I've entitled, The Savior Under Assault. The Savior Under Assault. And the first thing I want you to notice is the scribe's allegation in verse number 22. It says there, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath bills above, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. The scribes had heard so much of this miracle worker that they came down from Jerusalem to see what was happening for themselves. And after seeing the wondrous works of this individual, they couldn't deny the reality of the miracles that he was performing. But rather than accepting Jesus for who he claimed to be, the Son of Man, they reacted by stating two ludicrous allegations. The first allegation we see is this. The ludicrous allegation that Christ was under the influence of Beelzebub. Notice there in verse 22, they said, He hath Beelzebub. These scribes were so prejudiced against Jesus that their eyes were blinded to the truth that was right in front of them. They didn't care to know what the truth was. They only wanted to discredit the divine works that Christ was doing. And they had made up in their minds to molest the ministry of the Messiah by claiming that the Son of God was possessed by Beelzebub. Now, who was Beelzebub? According to 2 Kings 1, verse number 2, Beelzebub was a false god of the Ekronites and was considered the lord of the dung or lord of filth. Well, Beelzebub was this loathsome, wicked, false god who was associated with everything that was filthy and dirty. And this was that heartless, ludicrous, savage assault on the character of Jesus Christ to claim that he was influenced by the God of filth and dirt. The second ludicrous allegation we see is that they attributed the miracles that he performed to be the power of the devil. Notice again in verse 22, it says, and by the prince of the devils cast he out devils. Who's the prince of the devils? Satan. They were saying that he was under Satan's 
power. They couldn't deny that Jesus wielded some sort of supernatural power because they watched it happen. But rather than submitting to his claims to be God, they alleged that Jesus got his power from Satan. Now, we know that only God could have the supernatural power that's greater than Satan. But the scribes would not admit that Jesus was associated with God because his teaching went against their legalism and it threatened their egos and their followings. So their only recourse was to ascribe the miracles to have been done under the power of Satan. This is so ludicrous because they knew that the devil was everything that is evil. They said he's under the power of Beelzebub, the Lord of everything filthy and dirty. Had they acknowledged that Jesus was working miracles as God and under the power of God, they would have to follow him because they were religious leaders. And they would have to admit that their system of belief was dead and they needed to be replaced and that they would basically be out of business and they didn't want to do that. And they would also have to admit that their thinking and lifestyle would have to change. But they didn't want to do that. So what did they do? They alleged Jesus of being in the league with Satan under the influence of the Lord of filth with the hopes that the people, the congregation, the audience was too dumb to see their nonsensical suppositions. Now, a lesson we can learn from this is people can be so biased that they will attack you if they don't agree with you. They won't care about the facts. Facts don't matter if it goes against their core beliefs. So expect it to happen. Another lesson we can learn from this is we must be careful not to attack those who may not hold to the same positions as we do in aspects of life, both spiritual, scripturally, socially, or even politically. We are not in the ministry of attacking and assaulting people. We are in the ministry of reconciling people to God. So, what should we do when those people attack us or if we get attacked? Proverbs 29.9 says, If a wise man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. When we debate and argue with those who disagree with us, we look as foolish as they do and maybe even their arguments. And so, if they do attack us, the Bible makes it clear in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Answer them with meekness, with truth. And it took Jesus one question and four short sentences to dismantle, disprove, and dismiss their false allegations. Not only do we see the scribes' allegations, but secondly, I want you to see the Savior's answer. The Savior's answer in verses 23 through 27. 
And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? That's the first sentence, the question. And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except the will uh, he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Jesus summoned his accusers to himself. It says there in verse 23, he called them unto him. He said, come here. Come here. Let me talk to you. And then he proceeded to destroy their claims. He used three life illustrations to prove that Satan couldn't cast out Satan. Number one, he used a secular illustration. In verse number 24, it says, And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. A famous leader once said, divide and conquer. Does anyone know who said that? It was Julius Caesar when he was going against to oppose the Gauls. Julius Caesar knew it very well. And those generals in war know that tactic. That dividing a kingdom against itself is sure to see the kingdom disintegrate. This is not only a supreme tactic in war, but it's also the tactic that the devil uses to destroy nations. America is already in this mode. We are no longer the United States of America, but we are the divided states of America. From 1995 to today, there have been a combined total of just around 4,000 casualties, American casualties, in the war against terrorism. However, there were 618,222 American casualties in the Civil War when we fought against ourselves. Jesus made it clear that for Satan to cast out Satan is a kingdom that won't last. Satan is out to win the battle against God and against Jesus Christ. He's not going to do anything to weaken himself in that fight. For him to cast out his own demons would be counterproductive. So, he used a secular illustration. Secondly, he used a social illustration. Look in verse number 25. He says, And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Since a kingdom divided is sure to crumble, it begins socially, interpersonal relationships, and it starts at home. A house divided against itself cannot stand. 50 years ago, marriages were lasting. And the rate of divorce was probably 10, 15%. But in this day and age, the divorce rate in America is 50%. Children who go, grow up in a divided home in a broken home where there's no unity, are in a greater risk 
of a destructive future than those who aren't. A marriage that is constantly fighting is soon to disintegrate, and Satan knows that. Only a godly home filled with unity, love, mercy, and grace because of the unity they have in Jesus Christ is sure and guaranteed to flourish. J.C. Ryle said, the divisions of Christians are one great cause of the weakness of the visible church, which is why the scriptures teach us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. The church of Jesus Christ should remain united. But again, Satan is out to win against Jesus so he wouldn't be in the business of fighting against himself. That's just nonsensical logic. Where's the broom? And then thirdly, the third illustration that he used was he used a spiritual illustration. Look in verses 26 and 27. He says, And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter us into a strong man's um, house and spoil his goods, except he, he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Here, Jesus clearly spelled it out to the scribes that if his miracles of casting out demons was under the influence of an evil God, empowered by an evil being, then the efforts are really futile. The illustration Jesus used here was to teach that Satan is powerful and he wants to beat God so he wouldn't be fighting against his own kingdom. However, to cast out a demon, someone greater and stronger in both authority and ability can cast out that demon. So he used the illustration regarding the strong man. In verse 27, Jesus said that in order to invade the home of a strong man, referring to the devil, someone stronger would have to have the authority and power to stop any defense of the strong man. And the only one with authority and power to bind any working of the devil is God Almighty. And so what Jesus was claiming there was also his divinity. He was letting these, these scribes know that the miracles that he was performing, the casting out of demons that he was doing, was because he had the power and the authority as God. Jesus is the one with the power of God with the power of the Holy Spirit to bind the strong man. And when a person places his trust solely in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, 
the Holy Spirit immediately takes residence in that person's life and the forces of evil are dispelled. And this is why a Christian cannot be possessed by demons. The Bible makes it very clear in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When the scribes attempted to destroy the character of Jesus Christ by these false allegations, Jesus destroyed their allegations by an answer of true illustrations that they understood that dismantled the logic. So we see the scribes' allegations and the Savior's answer. The third thing I want you to see is the sobering alarm. The sobering alarm in verses 28 and 29 and 30. The Bible says, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. These religious scribes were blind to the spiritual danger that they were facing. Now, I find it interesting that even demons know and accept who Jesus is. But these scribes, witnessing the workings of God, rejected him as God. But instead, verse number 30 says, he hath an unclean spirit. They were claiming him to be demon-possessed. They saw the answer to the prayers of saints. They saw the fulfillment of the law. And yet they accuse Christ of being demon-possessed. And in response to this, Jesus issued a serious warning of alarm. He warned them that they were very close to crossing the line of no return. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He let them know that they were in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. Now... There's a lot of confusion as to what the unpardonable sin is and who can commit it. And many Christians are afraid that they may end up committing the unpardonable sin. I've seen it. I've heard it. But let's address this a moment from these verses. I want you to see, number one, that Jesus addressed the sin that can be forgiven. He addressed the sin that can be forgiven. Verse number 28 He said, verily I say unto you. He's saying, this is truth. This is absolute truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Verily, I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. This is a wonderful truth that we can find in this verse in the manner of sin that can be forgiven is all of it. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad of a Savior who will forgive all sin? Jesus said that there isn't a sin too great that cannot be forgiven. He said that all sins can be forgiven to everyone. Notice, he said, unto the sons of men. Everybody can be forgiven. To claim that there is a sin that you can commit that Jesus can't forgive is to say that you are greater than Jesus Christ and that your sin is greater than Jesus Christ. 
That's why I love the words of Julia H. Johnson, who, pre- who penned, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary Mount, uh, Calvary's Mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. There's not a sin that anyone that has, com- has committed, no blasphemy you may have said or thought that it can't be forgiven. Because even Jesus said in verse number 28, he says, uh, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Forgiveness is available to anyone, saved and unsaved, if they would simply come to Jesus Christ and ask. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Aren't you glad that Jesus says all sin can be forgiven? However, the one who can commit the unpardonable sin is the one who has never trusted Christ as his Savior. Apostates, unbelievers, they never really bought in completely in everything that is Jesus Christ and God. Because notice in verse number 29, he says, He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness. He's never received forgiveness. The world hates theology. Because God and the world are diametrically opposed. You and I will be treated like Christ was treated with rejection. They will make false claims about us. We will be misrepresented and misunderstood. However, we must expect it. And if you feel like your life is being attacked by the enemy and you're battered when it comes to your peace of mind and spiritual rest assaulting your health, assaulting your finances, your family, your daily victory, then remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God still has victory. And his grace is greater than our sin and circumstances. You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kahiwat. For more information, Visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, 
whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.